kiddos in the crowd. I'm happy to see them here. And adults, um, please bear with me while I get prepared. So I'm Pamela Dudley, and I get to be one of the pastors here at Longmont Nazarene, and I also serve as the Family Outreach Director, and this is Children's Message Time. So I'm going to um, give the message just like I would give um, when I'm being recorded, so just bear with me. Um, Hello, kids and adults. Welcome to Children's Message Time. We had um, another small break from our time together, but I'm glad to be back and to be able to get back on track with the Ten Commandments. So this week we're on the Seventh Commandment. Um, In these past weeks we've learned that God gave us these good laws to show us his way of how we should live as his children. So God's rules for life, they help us to love him and to love others the right way. All right, so first of all I'm going to say a little prayer. Um, Please close your eyes, bow your head. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we can spend together during children's message time. Please open our hearts and our minds today as we learn that keeping promises is important. Thank you for being a wonderful example of being a promise keeper. We are thankful for your rules for life and that you are the one and only God and that there is none other higher than you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So um, our memory verse this week is from Exodus 2014. That says, do not commit adultery. So I want to start off by asking um, if you know in the Bible about rainbows. Well, in the story of Noah and the flood, God floods the whole world to destroy sin, and he saves Noah and his family and the animals on the ark. When the waters dried up, God God set the rainbow in the sky to remind us of his promise to never flood the earth again. Every time we see a rainbow, we can remember that God keeps his promises, always. Every time, uh, today we're going to learn about the seventh commandment, which is a very special promise that God gives, um, God tells people, tells us to keep. So um, we look up your Bible, Exodus 20:14, is uh, pretty simple, to the point, you must not commit adultery. So this is a straightforward commandment. And it's not a commandment you all have to worry about, kiddos, for a very long time. This commandment is for married people. But there is still wisdom in this verse for kids and adults who aren't married too. So first we're going to talk about what this commandment means for married couples. And then we'll discuss what this commandment means for um, all of us, including you kids. So have you ever been to a wedding? Weddings are big, very special Um, celebrations when two people who love each other promise each other and they promise God they'll stay married and live together forever, loving each other best of all and always being there for one another. Being married is like getting to be with your best friend all the time and getting to do things and to help your best friend be happy and to help them love God more and more each day. So marriage is a very special relationship. And I want you all to understand how special it is and why this commandment is so important. So I'm going to show you an example of what marriage looks like using these two hearts. So again, bear with me. I have two hearts here. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to put some glue on it so that I can glue them together. I'm going to make sure that they're really stuck on there. 
All right. So I'm going to hold on to these hearts to dry for a little bit while we keep talking, while I keep talking. All right. So marriage is a special gift from God. So let's think back to the beginning of the Bible when God made everything, including marriage. He made all of creation and it was good. But remember, there was something that God saw that wasn't good. Does anyone remember what that is? So Genesis 2:18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Even though Adam was in a beautiful garden, surrounded by every single kind of animal, there was not anyone like him who could be his best friend. So God made Eve to be his wife, and Adam was really excited. Genesis 2:23 says, At last, Adam exclaimed, This is Bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. So God made marriage special for two people. A man and a woman get married, and they have their own home and their own family. Then they're united united into one. And the Bible says, just like how I showed you with the two hearts and brought them together to make one heart so it's a good thing to get married to someone you love and to get to have a family and a whole wonderful life with him a marriage promise is a special promise to god and your spouse to be united into one with him forever when you're married your life is not just yours anymore you think about and you care about what your husband or wife thinks and cares about You do things to show you love them. You spend time with them, and you work together as a team. When when a husband and a wife are united as one and work together as a team, the whole family wins. So I'm sorry to tell you that sometimes husbands and wives don't always keep their marriage promises. Imagine if you were on a basketball team. Your um, um, Your goal as a member of the team is to score as many baskets as possible, and to help your teammates score as many baskets as possible and to keep the other team from winning. So that's one way to think about marriage. Adultery is breaking the marriage promises to your husband or wife, best of all, and to be there to help them do their best and to be their best and to love God their best. So it's like being on that basketball team, getting the ball and trying to score points for the other team. So that's just wrong. So adultery is taking God's special gift of marriage, being brought together as one heart, and choosing not to give your best love and time and energy to your spouse, or even decide you don't want to be married anymore. So it's like trying to unglue your hearts. So let's see what adultery does to married hearts. So I'm going to take the glued hearts and try to pull them apart. So it's just doesn't come apart. So adultery, breaking marriage promises, hurts hearts. Marriage glues two hearts together. And there's no way to peel them apart without causing pain or heartbreak. So I want to stop here for a moment to make one thing clear. Some of you may have parents who are divorced or no kids whose parents are not together. So you have to know that that's not your fault. Your parents both love you so, so much, 
and you are not to blame. So when parents break their marriage promise to each other, it hurts not only their hearts, but their kids' hearts, too. So I want you to remember to be kind and loving to kids whose parents broke their marriage promise because hearts get hurt when this commandment is broken. So that's one big reason God gave us this commandment. Marriage is a wonderful gift, and it can be a lot of work, I know. It takes a lot of prayer and a lot of sacrifice to keep the promise to always treat your husband or wife as the most important person in your life, aside from Jesus. Someday, if you get married, remember your heart will be forever united with that person, and breaking the seventh commandment is going to hurt. So there's another reason why God gave this commandment. In Ephesians 5, 31, 32, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So this passage even says that it's a great mystery, so I'm not going to spend too much time and unravel that. But basically this verse is saying that marriage is a picture of the church's relationship with Jesus. So now a lot of very smart people have spent a lot of time studying the Bible and writing books about how the Bible shows that way as God's people, the church related to God is like a marriage relationship. So when we love a spouse, we want what's best for them and we want to make them happy. So when we love God, we want to please God, so we obey him and we love him. Um, we love and help other people. So God loves us. He gave us his good rules to follow so um, we could stay safe and happy. Also, we know that God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son to us to perish um, so that we can have everlasting life. Our relationship with God is the, absolutely the most important one in our whole lives. So God gives us a special promise about our relationship with him in 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So when we trust God and tell them that we're sorry for, for sinning, he forgives us. And that's wonderful news, right? I will close this lesson by saying God always, always, always keeps his promise. So we should too, right? So when we keep our marriage promise, it shows the whole world that God is a promise keeper. So it's going to be a very long time before you kiddos even think about getting married. But as of right now, as a kid, you can still be a promise keeper, just like God. So whenever, whatever um, you say you will do, do it. Clean your room when you're told. Go to a friend's party when you say you will. Play with your little or brother or sister when they ask. When you're faithful to do what you say you're going to do, people are going to see it. And then they will learn that, you're, um, that, that, learn that God is a promise keeper too. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today's lesson about respecting marriage promises and how keeping our promises to you and others is, is important too. Thank you for always keeping your promises to us. Help us to be promise, um, promise keepers for you by keeping our word, by doing what we say we're going to do. Please don't watch over us and our moms and our dads and our families during this time. Please keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the past, um, sorry, Pastor. <laughs> so for the past um, weeks, we've been learning the Ten Commandments by using sign language. So I'm just going to go through the ones, and we're going to learn um, the number seven today. 
So for number one was no other gods except for me. Number two is do not make for yourselves an idol. And number three is do not take the Lord's name in vain. And number four is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And number five is honor your father and your mother. And number six is do not murder. And number seven, we have seven. We're going to pretend that these two are mom and dad and parents, mom and dad stay together. Do not, do not commit adultery. All right. And so we have three more um, to learn as the coming weeks um, come along. Remember to practice them. Um, practice on your parents. Um, practice on your friends and your grandparents. I promise that if you keep repeating them and doing the motions, you'll, you'll um, learn them right away, and then you'll get to teach other people. So in your packets this week, you're going to find some items to make a heart bobble craft. So you'll be given uh, three sheets of paper, um, pre-cut stickers, and a string. And you're going to need glue um, or a glue stick. Um, and it's going to look like this. Please forgive mine. Uh, word to the wise, when you're using glue, make sure that you wait for the glue to, to dry before you put them all together. But the heart bobble is going to look like this. And mine is P for my name, um, beginning of my name. J for Jason, and then God is the one that's holding us together. Okay? So other activities in your packet is going to include a word search with the keywords um, and the seventh commandment coloring page and the trace letters, um, trace letters page. So have fun learning your verses. They are really fun to, to practice with, um, Jason and I. Yeah, he gets to see me do it all the time. So remember that God is the creator of everything. There's no other God but him. All other gods are just made up by people. No matter how old you are, we must put God first in our lives. He is more important than anything and anyone in our lives. He loves you and he wants you to keep his good laws. So we'll see you next week as we move along to commandment number eight. Well, just a second here. I'm going to take a pen and cross out half of my message because she did such a good job of covering it. Wow. That was good stuff. I, I'm not sure that's just a kid's message. Uh, thank you, Pamela. Um, we are on um, the seventh commandment today, Exodus 20:14. And I'll read that for you in a few moments. Um, be, beside the scripture, a couple of uh, books I've been using um, uh, for as background for this uh, series. One was by Adrian Rogers called Secrets of a Successful Family, and another by Ron Mill entitled The Tender, The Ten Der Commandments. This is a quote from Ron Mill. He says, when I think of the Ten Commandments, an odd picture comes to mind. Now, you might visualize Charlton Heston standing on top of a mountain 
with a dusky sky behind him, the stone tablets in his upraised arms, and the fire of God in his eyes. Personally, I think of a rodeo for the Ten Commandments. In particular, I think of a sad little Associated Press news item I saw recently. San Diego, California. An 18-year-old bull rider was kicked and trampled by a 2,300-pound Brahma bull during a September 18th rodeo and has died of his injuries, hospital officials said. Paul Coronado died Tuesday at Sharp Memorial Hospital. He had been unconscious and in critical condition since being trampled during the Lakeside Rodeo. Coronado had been competing professionally in rodeos for only a few months since graduating from El Capitan High School in June. Family and friends who had maintained a bedside vigil since his injury were there when he died at 10.04 p.m., according to a family member. Services for Coronado are pending. And then Mel says, have you ever watched a rider, a rider hanging for dear life on the back of a Brahma bull? When the bull swings his massive head and shoulders and sends that rider into the air and then into the dust, the cowboy's natural instincts kick in and he begins to run. I get that. I would too. He heads toward the fence as fast as he can go, wishing for a second or two maybe that it wasn't there. But then after scaling the barrier in one bound and finding it between him and 2,000 pounds of raging bull, he feels pretty good about that old fence. He might even lean over and give it a kiss. He's mighty glad it's there. In the seconds before he was trampled, young Paul Coronado must have wished fervently for a fence between him and the angry beast he'd been trying to ride, but it all happened too quickly. He didn't have a chance to get away. Why should a rodeo cowboy love a fence? Because the fence isn't there to restrain and restrict the rider. It is there to restrain the bull. That's what God's commandments do for us. They protect us. They put a barrier between us and that which would destroy us. They put a restraint on our flesh that wants what it wants at any cost. And that little illustration, little illustration is no more true than it is for this commandment today. There was an elderly couple sitting by the fireside. The husband looked over at his wife and had a romantic thought and said, After 50 years, I've found you tried and true. The wife's hearing wasn't too good, so she said, What did you say? He repeated, after 50 years, I found you tried and true. Her reply was, after 50 years, I'm tired of you, too. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) Sad but true, maybe. I don't know. Um, I, I know we've got some... How are our 50, we have 50-year marriages in here? Yeah, wow, great. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We've we got a few years to go. Today we're going to look at a, the command of God that is critical for us to keep if we're going to get to 50 years or beyond 50 years of marriage 
with the same spouse. And again, that command is found in Exodus 20:14. It is a fence around marriage. And it says this, you shall not commit adultery. Now, to give you an idea of what other versions say, let me share with you a few uh, other versions. The Common English Bible says, do not commit adultery. The English Standard Version says, you shall not commit adultery. The King James Version says, thou shalt not commit adultery. The Living Bible says, you must not commit adultery. The New American Standard Bible says, you shall not commit adultery. The New Living Translation says, you must not commit adultery. The Revised Standard Version says, you shall not commit adultery. Get the point? (laughs) There's no doubt, and Pamela, you made this point as well, there's no doubt about what's being said here, no matter which version you use. Pretty straightforward, no stutter, no stammer, no apology, no compromise, no variation in language. And generations have come and gone, but the Ten Commandments still stand. When it comes to God's standard for moral purity, we need to remind ourselves that God's laws don't need to be amended or revised. We live in a world of such weakened morals that many have convinced themselves that God's standards are no longer applicable to modern-day men. We live in a climate where sexual rules of conduct have changed. Humanism means that there is no law-giving God at the center, so no ultimate standard or anchor for ethics and morals means that we make up our own rules. Now, people have always had sexual liaisons outside of marriage. But in almost every culture, we've known that this somehow didn't meet the ideal for sexual expression. However, because of the sexual revolution of the past 50 or so years, we've been saying, hey, if we get to make up the rules, why beat ourselves up about sex? We're just like other animals. We're sexual beings and we're going to have sex, so... Let's stop feeling guilty about it. Let's take the rules off of it and just do it. And do it we have. Helped immensely by the invention of cheap and easy contraception. But interestingly, pregnancies didn't stop happening. Less rules meant more sex, and more sex meant more pregnancies and especially more pregnancies that did not take place within marriage. And if you'll remember, a couple of weeks ago when I talked about thou shalt not murder, I shared this statistic with you. 84% of abortions that take place are done or on single women. In a, in a society that has come to believe and perpetuate the lie of sexual freedom... We have forgotten that we are broken on God's laws if we try to break them. I found this article um, on the Internet. This is just last year, 2019, and it was lengthy, a number of pages. But let me share the opening paragraphs with you. Again, just last year. Health officials are raising alarm about the rise 
in STDs across the United States. For the fifth consecutive year, combined cases of gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis have risen in the United States Combined, they totaled 2.4 million infections that were diagnosed and reported in just last year alone, said Elizabeth Torona, a CDC epidemiologist who worked on the new report, adding that the combined number marks the most cases ever recorded since monitoring began in the United States. A rise in the prevalence and incidence of STDs can come with serious public health consequences and concerns, including infertility, drug-resistant gonorrhea, and congenital syphilis, which can cause infant death, and the report goes on and on. In essence, the new morality is really the same old immorality. What's especially disturbing is that this movement away from God, or from God's standard, of moral purity has invaded the church as well. Several years ago, a mainline denomination began to confront these issues. Here are some of their conclusions. It says, confrontation began earlier this year when a 17-member task force issued the report Keeping Body and Soul Together, Sexuality, Spirituality, and Social Justice. The 192 seven-page document describes a deep-seated crisis of sexuality in modern culture and notes a significant gap between official church teachings and the sexual practices of most people, including church members, and I would add people who call themselves Christians. Rather than setting rules about who sleeps with whom, said the task force, the church should be asking whether the relationship is responsible, the dynamics are genuinely mutual, and the loving full of joyful care. Let's go back to a, a, a part of, uh, of that for just a moment, where it said, rather than setting the rules about who sleeps with whom, speaking of the church, and I say that's the heart of the problem. See, we don't set the rules. God does. And so we tend to set the rules in ways that favor what we want to do, don't we? Anyway, the report declares that all persons, whether heterosexual or homosexual, whether single or partnered, have a moral right to sexual expression. Maturity rather than marriage should determine when teenagers engage in intercourse. And the task force averts the church should permit ordination of homosexuals and provide a wedding-like ceremony to celebrate same-sex unions. <clears throat> and folks, that's just one example in our culture of how God's design for sex has gotten twisted. Here's another. I don't know how recent this is. This is. Maybe this is just the first time it's had a name attached to it. They call it open marriage. 
Uh, here's here's a, a definition. In an open marriage, partners are legally married to one another and describe their marriage as their primary relationship. Also, the partners agree that they are comfortable with some level of non-exclusivity. In many cases, one or both partners may date or have sex with other partners regularly. And they tell us how open marriage differs from just fooling around. The most important elements of an open marriage are communication and trust. When one partner is having an affair outside of the marriage, their spouse has no knowledge of or control over what's going on. In an open marriage, partners discuss extramarital relationships with the understanding that any decisions will be made together. Also, partners in an open marriage must be open to making changes in their extramarital relationships if needed. The spouse always comes first, right? So it seems to me like we've made a lot of adjustments in the wrong direction. In 1 John 5, 3, we find this. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. That is the truth. God's laws are for liberty. They are for freedom, protection, and blessing. What else would you expect from a heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally, who loves us so much that he sacrificed his own son for our sakes. Yet Satan has perpetuated a lie over the years that countless numbers have bought into, that God's laws are restrictive, they're meant to bind us up and fence us in, to take the fun, the joy, the freedom, and even the life out of life. Now, Satan doesn't need to tell us things like, go ahead, jump in front of that semi on the freeway. It'll be fun. It's freeing. It feels good, so it must be all right. No, he's a lot more subtle than that. He says things like, go ahead, enjoy yourself. Have a little fun. It won't hurt anything. That sexual purity, fidelity stuff is so old-fashioned. Besides, what harm could it do? knowing all along that if we buy into the lie that it's just as deadly as jumping in front of that truck. Either way, he could destroy you. Listen to the words of Solomon, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, And her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. Proverbs 7, 25 through 27. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. But because so many have believed the lie and because culturally sexual relationships outside of marriage have become so acceptable, we have a tendency to to ignore the negative impact those relationships can have. Focus on the Family did a 
a study entitled Impact of Premarital Sex and Cohabitation on Marital Success. Because we've had this tendency to think, well, what you have to do first to kind of get an idea if you can have a successful marriage is to live together for a while to cohabitate. And again, it was a lengthy report. I'm just going to share the, the concluding paragraphs. Because they cite a number of different studies on these subjects that I won't take time to share with you today. But they say at the end, science is now showing us that what our grandmothers and pastors knew all along, having sex with someone who is not our spouse can have a real measurable and harmful impact upon later relationships. When we give ourselves away, and sex is a full giving of ourselves away, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, to someone outside the commitment and protection of marriage, it breaks down an important part of us, making our future relationships more unhealthy and difficult to sustain. So when God says, you shall not commit adultery, we need to write that law on our hearts. If the law of God is only on the outside, it will merely be a rule or a regulation or a restraint. But if the law is on the inside, if the righteousness of the law is fulfilled within us, then God's law brings us liberty and release. You know, the Great Wall of China was built over many hundreds of years to keep China's northern enemies from invading. It is one of the few man-made objects that astronauts can actually see from space. But the Great Wall did not keep the enemy out. Do you know why? All the enemy had to do was bribe a gatekeeper. Despite a massive wall, there was an enemy on the inside to let the enemy on the outside in. And so it is with our lives. The gatekeeper of our hearts is on the inside. The gatekeeper must be faithful or the walls of restraint, the laws of God's word will do us no good. And did you know the seventh commandment, maybe not as nearly focused as we tend to think because it deals really with all forms of sexual immorality. What it says in a nutshell is that all sexual involvement outside of marriage, in other words, one man with one woman, whether premarital or extramarital, is a grievous sin against God. And God will not be mocked. He has not canceled his statutes. The seventh commandment, is reinforced, in fact, through the New Testament. And Pam read one of those references earlier to us today. Jesus told the rich young ruler who came to him, one of the commandments he listed as those you should keep was, do not commit adultery. 1 Corinthians 10.8 says, we should not commit sexual immorality. Paul wrote in Colossians 3 verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And in Thessalonians 4.3, the Apostle Paul says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. These scriptures refer to any 
sexual immorality, whether before or after or during marriage. Think about the seventh commandment. It deals with adultery because it assumes that marriage is the only acceptable context for sexual relationship, which then forbids not only sexual relationships with anyone other than your marriage partner, but also sexual relations before or outside the marriage relationship. So there is no ambiguity when God says, you shall not commit adultery. To adulterate means to make impure. When you adulterate the sanctity of marriage, you have made impure something that God values very highly. So highly, in fact, that he uses marriage, the marriage relationship, again, as was pointed out to us earlier, to illustrate his relationship with us, his people. Jeremiah 3, 8 and 9. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. And then Hosea, chapter 2, verse 1. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take for yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. Again, the marriage relationship. God uses that as an illustration of what our relationship with him should be. These verses speak of infidelity and represent the, covenant, the breaking of the covenant relationship with God and also the breaking of the covenant relationship in marriage. And God takes this very seriously. So let's see quickly. Let's see why adultery is such a grievous sin. Number one, it is a sin against yourself. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee from all sexual morality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. No sin has the potential to do more spiritual, psychological, and physical damage than sexual sin. Lord Byron, the poet, was a handsome, witty, charming playboy but he died at the burial This is what he wrote. My days are in the yellow leaf. The flower and fruits of life are gone. The worm and the are mine alone. The talk today is about safe sex. Sex is not supposed to be dangerous. It's supposed to be sacred. Adultery is a sin against your own body. Adultery is a sin against your spouse. Those who commit adultery have broken a commitment. They have violated a trust and shared something with someone else that is to be reserved only for their spouse. Sexual intimacy by God's design, is to be reserved for marriage. From the very beginning, Genesis 2-4, we are told that in marriage, the two shall become one flesh. 
Jesus himself repeats that same scripture. In Matthew 19, 5 and 6, he says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, I believe there is a spiritual dimension, a depth to sexual union that only God understands completely. And when we violate the seventh commandment, we sin against our spouse as well as the other person and their spouse. And if you are unmarried, you sin against your future spouse and your partner's future spouse. And then adultery is a sin against the family. The lives of innocent children are being torn apart in America because of the sin of adultery. It is destructive to the family. Parents who commit adultery make a devastating statement about how little they value their mate and how little fidelity means to them. It also teaches that honor and commitment are not as important as momentary pleasure. An adulterous parent is telling their children that it's all about me, that fulfilling my desires is more important than you are. Adultery is a sin against the church. Romans 14, 7. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. We are the body of Christ, the church. All parts are interrelated. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul in verses 4 and 5 says this. For as, just as each of, each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That means the way I live affects the body of Christ. And I can bring honor to the body, or I can bring shame and disrepute to the body. If a believer engages in sexual immorality, they are sinning against the body of Christ. Adultery is also a sin against the nation. The great English historian Edward Gibbon who wrote The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, said that immorality was the number one force that brought the Roman Empire crashing down. Historians also tell us that immorality was the sin that destroyed the ancient empires of Greece, Egypt, and Babylon. It makes you concerned about what empire may fall next for the same reasons. Proverbs 14.34 Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And Adrian Rogers in Ten Secrets of a Successful Family says, The enemy of the home is the enemy of society, and people who treat sex lightly will treat other people lightly. As a nation, we are being desensitized to sexual immorality, and it covers much more territory than what we tend to think of when we hear the word adultery. Immorality can bring down an entire society. And then, adultery is a sin against God. 
In fact, it's a sin against God, first of all. It is God who said, you shall not commit adultery. When King David broke the command, he was wise enough, after being confronted with his sin, to confess in Psalms 51, verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and what did what is evil in your sight. He's speaking to God. Proverbs 6.32, But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. We are destroyed because we have sinned against God. The Ten Commandments are not suggestions. They are holy laws. And the penalty and consequences of breaking them is serious. In Revelation 21, verse 8, it says this, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts and the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. No matter what you say about it, no matter what spin you put on it, Sexual immorality is a sin against God. Here's the good news. And I love the part about introduce. Jesus saves at the end of your uh, children's sermon because Jesus forgives sexual sin. You wait, don't, we have a tendency, don't we, in our minds to do this. Well, this sin is at the top. And then we kind of grade them down from there. God doesn't look it up. Look at it that way. So no matter where you place this on your scale, I want you to know God forgives sexual sin. There is redemption. God's design for sexual expression is one man, one woman, in the context of marriage. Anything other than that, and we are breaking the seventh commandment. And let me close with these words from 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. The Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, no, you're not. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Amen. Um, we're going to partake of communion.